Welcome to the era of cyber war. You've just been attacked. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Andy Greenberg, author and senior cybersecurity writer at Wired. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me. Give us a brief summary of your professional background, Andy. Well, I have written about cybersecurity and hacking for about 12 years now. I originally covered this stuff for Forbes magazine and for the last six and a half years or so, or no, sorry, for the last five and a half years or so, I've been at Wired. Your latest book, Sandworm, A New Era of Cyber War and the Hunt for the Kremlin's Most Dangerous Hackers hit the shelves at the end of last year. What happened during the middle of the last decade that motivated you to write the book? Well, around the end of 2016, actually, is when editors at Wired asked me to find uh, the big story of cyber war. And uh, the motivation wasn't really mine. It was them watching, uh, I think, as every news editor in the world was, um, the Russian hacking of the 2016 presidential election and wanting a, like the, you know, they actually wanted to take over the whole magazine with a kind of super in-depth story on cyber war. But I didn't even really see that election interference as cyber war. It, to me, it just kind of seemed like, um, I don't know, like spy games mixed with dirty politics and with, you know, by means of hacking. Uh, so I went looking instead for an actual cyber war story. And uh, my colleague then at the time, Kim Zetter, had been at Wired covering um, more of the state-sponsored hacking and these acts of cyber war than I had actually, but she left Wired. Uh, and so I kind of picked up some of the threads that where she had left off. She had covered the fact that Ukraine's power grid had been hacked by Russian hackers in 2015, causing the first ever blackout, first ever hacker-induced blackout. Uh, and that to me seemed like the kind of quintessential act of true cyber war that I wanted to pick up on. And more importantly, you know, I, I also was aware of the fact that uh, Russia had hacked the Ukrainian election in 2014 as well, before they had started messing with the US election. So there kind of seems to be this pattern that um, you know, if Russia hacks the Ukrainian election and then they hack our election, uh, then what does it mean that, that they've hacked the Ukrainian power grid? Does that mean that they're going to hack our power grid too? And just as I was thinking about all of this, um, the same hackers attacked the Ukrainian power grid again, causing the second ever blackout, uh, this time in the capital of Kiev. So I knew that the story was ongoing, that this, there was, a, in fact, a kind of real sustained cyber war campaign unfolding in Ukraine, and that maybe if you looked at Ukraine, you could see the, not only the kind of uh, intentions of this one Russian hacker group, but in some ways the future of cyber war, because Russia was using Ukraine as this, uh, as this kind of test lab for cyber war where they could experiment with new techniques and also see what they could get away with, with the, these kind of hyper aggressive attacks that they weren't doing anywhere else in the world. So that's when I really delved into Ukraine. Although at the time, I, I didn't know that you know, it was going to be a full book's worth of story there. It, it, it certainly is. In fact, there's so much uh, research that you put behind this and a lot of conversations with uh, individuals that were a part of a lot of what's, what's happened with cyber warfare. So let me ask, what kind of detective work exactly did you have to undertake to research the story? Was it difficult to get those who'd been victimized to admit to all that happened? 
Well, it, it always is. Well, it usually is. This is like one of the big challenges of cybersecurity reporting is that victims don't want to talk about their experiences. They're very often afraid of a kind of victim shaming mentality that, you know, to, that, you know actually is a big problem um, in, in this industry. We talk about like the Equifax hack or the target breach. We don't talk about who did those breaches as their kind of brand names. Um, but things are different in Ukraine uh, because Ukrainians want the world to know that they have been inf invaded, essentially, both physically and digitally. So I, I arrived in Ukraine and I was kind of amazed and you know, delighted in some ways to see that Ukrainians wanted to talk about every detail of these kind of relentless and terrible attacks that they were experiencing one after another. And you know, I, I went to the utility in Western Ukraine that had been the target of one of those first blackout attacks. And one of the engineers just handed me his phone and showed me the video that he had taken uh, of his mouse being taken over on his machine and watching his, you know, kind of helplessly as the mouse cursor clicked through circuit breakers as he was locked out of the machine. And his video, on his video, you can see the mouse cursor clicking through one circuit breaker after another, turning off the power to, you know, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian civilians. And uh, you know, he kind of just handed me that video with no qualms whatsoever. It, it was this kind of reporter's dream where you know, not only are Ukrainians experiencing attacks that no one else in the world has seen, but they're also really willing to talk about it. Um, you know, as, but as the book progressed, and the reason that this is a book, in fact, is that those, you know, after years of re researchers warning that those attacks uh, in Ukraine were a kind of harbinger of what was to come, that we would see those same attacks hit the West if we, if we didn't call them out, if we didn't try to stop Russia from doing these things. Um, this Ukrainian cyber war did spread to the rest of the West. And in June of 2017, this notorious piece of malware called NotPetya hits Ukraine, saturated the whole country, kind of carpet bombed the entire Ukrainian internet, and then immediately spread to the rest of the world. Uh, including Europe and the United States, Maersk, the world's largest shipping firm, FedEx, Mondelez, the food company, Merck, the pharmaceutical company, um, hundreds of American hospitals, medical record systems. I mean, this is the reason that this is a book and not just a kind of magazine story about Ukraine. Um, and so, so for that kind of climactic, really in some ways the most important part of the reporting, I did have to find Western victims, you know, big corporate victims who would talk about their experiences. And that was much harder. And I ultimately spent, you know, maybe six or eight months of the reporting of this book, just kind of ultimately um, back channeling with Maersk sources, trying to become a kind of shipping industry reporter um, uh, on the fly and trying to find anonymous sources who were, because Maersk didn't want to cooperate, um, who would tell me the story of how the world's largest shipping firm was um, really entirely crippled by NotPetya, as you know, including 17 of their terminals and ports around the world being shut down by this piece of code. Uh, and that, that was a, a new kind of reporting challenge for me, and um, one that's been difficult to replicate even with, with subsequent cyber attacks. This is a, a, a hard thing to do as a cybersecurity reporter, and companies don't want to talk about this stuff. But you, but as you mentioned, you did get some people to talk about their stories. In fact, you know, I think one thing we forget is that human element isn't just the people that are being attacked. It's the the founders, the C-level executives, the business people who, in fact, you have one story uh, in the book that um, you mentioned uh, medical, right? And this was an encryption service who you specifically said, gosh, I don't know why they wouldn't protect their business. And 
they thought, well, I'll, I'll never be attacked. What happened? Um, and, and how did, how did they being hacked affect their business? Well, I think you're, you're talking about Medoc, um, the, the Ukrainian accounting software sold by a little company called Linkos Group uh, with this you know, office on the kind of outskirts of Kiev. And um, this is kind of the company that sells the TurboTax or Quicken of Ukraine, this accounting software that everybody uses. But you know, they never really thought about their, you know, they didn't think of their accounting software as like critical infrastructure or something. But uh, Sandworm, this one group of Russian hackers responsible for all of these attacks, hijacked their update server and used their software, used this kind of innocent, um, you know, innocent seeming software to, to push out a malicious update that contains the NotPetya malware to every customer, everybody who had this accounting software installed. And that, it turns out, wasn't just victims across Ukraine. That was everybody who did business with Ukraine or filed taxes in Ukraine, including all of those corporate customers I mentioned, these massive multinationals like Maersk and FedEx and Merck. They all had like one Ukraine office that had one instance of this accounting software installed at least. And that was enough uh, for these companies for the worm to get a foothold and then saturate their entire global network in some cases. So in some ways, this is a story about the kind of misapprehensions we have about cyber war, the ways that the, the physics, the kind of mechanics of this new domain of warfare play out in ways that we don't like intu intuit, we don't predict. This company had no idea that they could be a vector for a $10 billion cyber attack, the worst cyber attack in history in actual financial damages, um, because they just made accounting software. But it turns out that if you hack this accounting software, you can push out a worm that then takes down you know, 17 ports around the world, that, that takes down a speech-to-text transcription company that is used by medical record systems across the United States that results in you know, children who are due for a surgery, not having their medical records updated, and nobody knows if if they are if it's safe to do a surgery or not. And this playing out, you know, at a scale across the United States, and you know, in in all these different um, varied ways in different industries, uh, that no one, you know, the least not not least this little Ukrainian accounting software company could have predicted. Absolutely, and it was heartbreaking to think of the the impact of people that just are really you know, just trying to live. Cyber attacks can be as damaging to the victim as outright physical attacks. So far, we haven't seen a massive uh, physical response to a, a state-sponsored cyber attack. Is, is that likely to change? And what might it take for truly for us to, to respond in that way? Well, I, you know, I don't think we have yet seen a, to be fair, um, a cyber attack that has caused the same kind of damage as physical attacks. I, I have yet to even prove a case myself of a cyber attack, like NotPetya even, uh, actually costing a human life. You know, I'd, I would not be surprised if it had because it affected so many hospitals in ways that were difficult to kind of quantify and record and to follow the, you know, the third order effects of, of all the damage that it did. But it's not like, you know, 9-11. It's not like we can count the bodies that resulted from this. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. And I am not, you know, I, this, this book, I think as you're getting at is, is the, one of the big ideas is, is that we in the West watch these attacks unfold in Ukraine 
and we treated them as something you know at this far remove we ignored all of the security researchers and the ukrainians warning that the U.S. should respond, that the U.S. should tell Russia to cut it out or sanction Russia for these cyber attacks or indict the hackers. And, you know, we, in fact, did not, none of those things for years until it was too late and NotPetya hit us very directly, you know, um, in a very costly way. Um, but I'm still, even as I say that, I'm not advocating that we actually respond to cyber attacks with physical attacks. I don't think, I think that's a dangerous thing to do and a dangerous precedent to set. What I'm really saying is that in this book is that uh, we should have responded to all of these attacks on Ukraine uh, as we would to any other kind of inhumane act of war, a, a, a war crime, essentially, that we should have a kind of Geneva Convention for Cyber War that says that even if, uh, even if Ukraine is not part of NATO, they're not us, they're not the United States, they're not NATO, they're not the EU, they're in Russia's sphere of influence or whatever, uh, it's still not okay to carry out these cyber attacks on civilian critical infrastructure, uh, you know, hospitals, power grids, these things should be off limits, uh, no matter who the victim is, even if you're in the midst of a war. Um, that's kind of the lesson that I'm trying to hammer home. And, and, it's, and the response when those cyber war crimes happen shouldn't necessarily be a physical attack, but you know, um, somebody should get indicted for war crimes and brought in front of the Hague or, you know, the same kind of indictments that we some, sometimes used against foreign hackers, but were never actually used against these Ukrainian attacks or sanctions, you know, like the kind that we have sometimes seen against Russia for, you know, say the election interference, but which we kind of didn't, for some reason, think were necessary when Russia was carrying out these terrible, reckless attacks in Ukraine. Andy Greenberg, senior cybersecurity writer at Wired and author of Sandworm, A New Era of Cyber War and the Hunt for the Kremlin's Most Dangerous Hackers. I highly recommend the book. It was very good. I also have it on Audible. If somebody wants to connect with you, Andy, maybe they want to get a copy of your book or find more about your work. How can they do that? Well, the easiest way might be on my website, which is andygreenberg.net, or you can follow me on Twitter, and I'm A underscore Greenberg. Thanks again. And if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.